Welcome to episode 53 of the Empowering Ability Podcast. Welcome to the Empowering Ability Podcast, where we get you and your loved ones impacted by disability the information needed to live a full and meaningful life. Now here's your host, Eric Gall. Hey friends, thanks for joining for yet another episode of the Empowering Ability Podcast. Uh, I'm Eric Gall, your host, and today I am covering an exciting topic, uh, which I find quite interesting and I have had a fair amount of experience with over my lifetime, um, which is personal support networks. And we have a great guest on to talk about personal support networks who has a wealth of experience with them, and that is Rebecca Pauls. And Rebecca is the director of PLAN, or uh, also known, PLAN for short, but Planned Lifetime Advocacy Network, and they're located in Vancouver. And um, in this episode, Rebecca and I discuss what a personal support network is, um, what the purpose of a personal support network is, and we get into, you know, what are the benefits of, of having one, one of the advantages, uh, how to build a personal support network, and we talk about kind of plans approach to to personal support networks. And we also talk about a lot of the great stuff that plan is is learning uh, currently. So uh, lots of great insights in this episode. Uh, personal support networks can kind of be a bit of a fuzzy area for folks. They're called many different things. So you might have heard of a circle or a support circle or a micro board, which is becoming um this terminology being becoming more popular these days. So uh, we will try to clarify uh, and demystify all of those things for you today. Uh, before I get into the intro with Rebecca, uh, I just want to, again, remind you and make you aware that there is now the opportunity to contribute to this podcast by and the blog by subscribing and uh, I recently sent out uh, an email to people that have joined the mailing list. Uh, and you can join that mailing list by heading on over to empoweringability.org to get all the new episodes sent directly to your inbox. But uh, recently sent out um, an email letting people know that there is the opportunity to subscribe. And I thank all of you that have subscribed so far. Um, it's a great help to allow me to continue to invest in creating more content like this, but also creating uh, content such as e-courses, uh, templates, and, and worksheets for uh, for to benefit you and, and your family or the work that you do. So uh, I just wanted to touch on a couple of points that I mentioned in that email in terms of why you may want to consider subscribing uh, to Empowering Ability. Um, so the first reason is that, you know, you've been listening and consuming this content, content and there is valuable insights uh, that you've gained through the content. So it might have changed your understanding, your mindsets, your behavior, and ultimately the trajectory of your life or others, uh, the lives of others. So really, it's it's helped you to, to learn and to develop yourself. And by um, subscribing in this podcast, so in putting money out <laughs> and, and monetarily contributing, um, you're investing in your own self, in your own learning, in your own development, because once you've uh, paid for something, it's 
you've, you've showed that you value it. And the things that you value are the things that you're going to do. So in other words, if you start paying for uh, a subscription to Empowering Ability, you're going to be sure that you're going to read the blog or you're going to listen to the next podcast because it's something that you've paid for. You've invested in it and you want to get that return on that investment. So it's a way for you to continue to invest uh, in yourself. Um, so second reason you might want to consider investing in uh a subscription to empowering ability is that uh, this is a medium that is for free and always will remain free. Um, however, there is value in this medium. So, um, and you pay for other things like magazines or book subscriptions or other paid content in your life. So that is a reason to consider to pay for a subscription. So for example, you can go back and listen to the last 52 episodes of Empowering Ability and you can see exactly the the value you're going to get from it. Um, Whereas those other mediums, such as a book or a magazine that you're purchasing, um, you're not really sure of the value that you're going to get from it. Some are a hit, some are a miss, but um, this is a known commodity. You know what you're going to get. And the value of a a book or a magazine might cost you $15 or $30, you know, just for one issue. And with each episode, I'm striving to to deliver uh, that much value. So uh, it's another reason that you might want to consider investing in an empowerability subscription. Uh, The third is that I'm continuing to develop more content. And there's a empowering ability members area that will be coming in 2019. So any subscribers prior to the launch of that members area are going to get access to that members area for whatever contribution amount you've self-selected whatever that uh, amount feels right for you so um, that members area again it's going to include things like e-courses uh, templates and worksheets uh, and I'm going to start to, to dabble into video a little bit as well so um, there'll be lots of great content there for subscribers in the members area and uh, whatever amount you're you decide to self-select to contribute will be honored for that members area even if the members area uh, come subscription comes at a higher, higher value. So there you have it. Uh, some reasons that you might want to consider investing, um, in a subscription to empowering ability. And lastly, if you're unable to contribute, uh, monetarily, um, just please don't, you can contribute by sharing these blogs and podcasts, uh, that you feel will benefit your networks. So I guess back to this episode, uh, I just want to do a quick intro for Rebecca and we'll get into it. So um, Rebecca, as you'll see, is an enthusiastic leader. Uh, She is a really creative facilitator in her work and has a range of experiences in community development and collaboration uh, with people who have developmental disabilities. She's a mother to four children um, and has a deep appreciation for roles that family and friends play in our lives. And she's committed to connecting with people. As I mentioned, she's the director of PLAN based in Vancouver, and she's really led a complete redesign of the programming um, at PLAN to integrate principles of person-centered planning, asset-based community development, narrative therapy, and independent facilitation. So uh, it's my pleasure to introduce you to Rebecca Pauls. Hey, Rebecca. Welcome to the Empowering Ability Podcast. Hi, Eric. Thanks so much. Yeah, it's uh, a pleasure to have you on the podcast today and um, excited to, to dive into um, 
a topic that I really believe in, um, and I've seen the the fruit bared from it um, in my own life um, with personal support networks. But before we kind of dive into the topic, I would love you to just have the opportunity to share a little bit more about plan um, and maybe just a little bit of the backstory and um, and the work that you do. Sure. Thanks so much. Planned Lifetime Advocacy Network is a group of people with disabilities and their families. We're based here in Vancouver, British Columbia, and we came together about 30 years ago. And like, you know, life was really different for people with disabilities 30 years ago. And the group of parents who founded Plan all had sons and daughters who had disabilities but they also believed that they could be contributing citizens. And they knew that just because they had a disability didn't mean that they shouldn't be included in the school system or shouldn't be able to make decisions or live in the heart of community. So the families came together to meet and and ask what they as citizens could do to make a difference for their sons and daughters and for their families. And they haven't stopped since then. Really the work of plan is charting a new path that's full of um, opportunities for people with disabilities to contribute their gifts and to live connected with other people. And the really neat thing, when we think back to that group of founding families, not only were they thinking about how they could change the present situation that they were dealing with, but thinking ahead to the future. And if they realized that they were going to work so hard to create a new way of being and being in community, they also thought ahead to ask that question, well, what happens when we're no longer here? What happens when we're gone? And that's where the idea of personal support networks really began to mobilize here in Vancouver. Mm, Yeah. And um, that's a, a question that's on, um, I think every parent's mind that has a son or a, a daughter with um, a developmental disability is what well, what happens when I'm not here? And um, I think that, you know, some fear can come up. Um, you know, I think about the perspective of my parents and I think maybe for a while there, there was a mindset of, well, no one can do what I do. So no one else is going to do it type thing. But we won't get too much into that. But I'm curious, uh, from your experience working with families that maybe are, have gone, are, are further down the journey where, you know, parents are, are no longer providing that support and that, you know, that fear or that question uh, actually happens. Um, what has that looked like for families. So I'm curious if you're able to maybe share what you've seen for families that were unprepared or they hadn't, they didn't have maybe a strong personal support network in place. What did that look like? And, and maybe even on the other side of things where families did have that strong support network in place and what has that look like, looked like? Well, I think the difference comes in in the amount of unpaid relational 
support that people have in their lives. And when we're talking about personal support networks, really we're talking about having a group of friends and family who all commit to being intentionally involved in the life of the person at the center of the network. So what happens when there's not a personal support network involved is that a person with a disability or a person with support needs might live a life where they don't have friends, they don't have companionship and have mostly paid people in their lives, where when a personal support network is involved and the parents are no longer able to be involved because of reasons of, of sickness, um, maybe they've, they've passed away, there's people in the person's life that can play important and specific roles. They can help them to make decisions, help them to realize their goals and their dreams for their own life. And that's become an important part of the work that we do at Plan. We have a team of mentors that help people to build and nurture their networks. We also do a lot of planning and advocacy, making sure that the goals, the dreams, and the needs of of a person are met long before the situation comes when the parents are no longer involved. Yeah, for sure. And I'm where I kind of want to, where I'd like to explore further. And um, I think you astutely pointed this out earlier as we were talking before recording the podcast is to talk about how to go build that professional support network, right? So how to go do it. I think it's, it's great to, a lot of families are like, oh yeah, that sounds great. But then it's like, oh, well, how do we do that? So I want to talk about the how, but um, before we get there, maybe we could talk about the almost like, I like to call it a mental model, but like a, a spectrum of different types of personal support networks. So did you want to maybe give your perspective on what um, what those can look like from maybe least formal to most formal? I think that's a matter of, of how people are involved in each other's lives. When we're talking about personal support networks, we're talking about a, a group or a circle of support. So at different times in a person's life, they might depend on their network for different things. If they're a younger person or life's going well, they might spend time with their network doing more fun and social things. And at different points in life when um, challenging situations happen or there's a need for planning and advocacy, those friends can come together in dialogue to work together to help the person get what they need. So in a, in a formal sense, there's different iterations of personal support networks. Sometimes you hear it called natural supports or circles of support. And in other situations, people develop a microboard, or um, which is the most formal way of people setting up their personal support network. The most important thing is not in, in what you call it, it's in the way that, that people are working together. And I think that's important not only for people with disabilities, it's more like a, a way of being and a way of living our lives that we commit to being involved in our communities and, and caring for each other and sharing about what's important to us mm -hmm. and then working together at what we need. Yeah. And I think one of the realizations that I've had is that we all have a personal support network. 
um, no -hmm. matter if we have a disability or not. Um, You know, we all have that when we're going through a tough time, we all have that one friend we're going to pick up and and call call them. Or, you know, we have that one friend that, um, you know, maybe we love doing a physical activity or a sport with. Um, we have that person that we call that we view as a mentor on, you know, job advice or career advice. Um, and where the intentionality where I've seen kind of that intentionality piece be important for individuals with a developmental disability um, is around just the support to to maintain and even deepen the, those relationships that might be like the um they might have a, a need for some support to to strengthen those relationships um and to to maintain them um does that resonate with you rebecca mm-hmm. i agree with you i think we all have networks of support but i think it's sometimes difficult to build or maintain those or difficult even in our own lives to to reach out to others and share the challenges or share our aspirations and for a lot of people that I know who have disabilities they also appreciate support in building and nurturing their their support network so within the traditional plan model there's a network member who takes the role of a community connector we sometimes call that person a mentor as well. And their role in the network is to keep everyone connected, to help the person at the center of the network to reach out and share invitations to, to do things on the weekend or to talk about what's important to them. There's no one way of setting up a support network as many um, people as there are and different stages of life and different lifestyles, the important thing to recognize is that you're living in community with a group of people and not alone. We realize that relationships are really the basis of living a good life, which is another really important aspect of PLAN. And when we talk about um, PLAN as an organization and how we've developed through the years, we can really say that... um, we have two ultimate aims and the first is that the people who are involved with plan can live a good life which means that they have friends and relationships that they're making a contribution in their community that they're empowered to make choices they have a place to call home and financial stability but then also that the parents have peace of mind and the basis of all of those things are having people and relationships to be able to do life together with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we've, we've kind of talked about what a personal support network is, the different kind of ways people might've heard about um, a personal support network or they're, you know, they're called different things. And there's different levels of formality that come with, with those and, and how that might shift or evolve over time. So I think traditionally, especially the support networks that I've been involved with, or and they've been called circles of support, have been really around building and deepening relationships for that individual at the center um, of the circle. And um, I, I just want to talk for a minute around what the purpose of that personal support network 
um, can be. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be around relationships. Maybe as we, it, uh, anyways, the ones I've been a part of started out as. But I'm curious. Can you can you talk to maybe the purpose of that personal support network and and help ground us there? I think the purpose of a personal support network is to ensure that no one is alone and that no one's stuck in isolation. Sometimes we we hear the saying that loneliness is really the only debilitating disability. And so the purpose of the network on the most foundational level is to ensure that everybody can live in an inclusive and, and caring community. There's all kinds of things that people in a network can can do together and to accomplish. But at the heart of it, it's it's recognizing that we have the support that that we need to to live the life that we that we want and that we dream of for ourselves. Okay, so let's let's say that I'm someone listening to this podcast and I'm sold on the idea of a personal support network, and I understand that there's different ways that 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 could look, and um, you know, there's probably some figuring out on how intentional um, that needs to be right now for me. But um, aside from that. How does one go about building a personal support network? When we're spending time with someone who's looking to build a personal support network, we start by getting to know who the person is. So what their gifts are, the things that they think a lot about, the things that they ask questions about, things that they like to do, things that they care about. Because none of us build relationships based on disabilities or deficiencies we build relationships based on common interests and we have friends who care about the same things that we do so in the same way when we're building a network we we focus on on gifts and the uniqueness of each person and then we'll ask questions like who are the people in your life and sometimes it's it's sitting down with a piece of paper and brainstorming all of the different people that the person has relationships with whether or not they're connected with them now or not starting with that relationship map or that inventory is a good starting point but then sometimes there's people who don't have a lot of friends or family or relationships to start with so then we ask the question well if there were people in your life what kinds of roles would you want them to play and some people might say, I, I would like someone to spend time with in the community, or they might have a more specific need in that I need someone to help me to manage my finances. Different roles of, of people can, can be anything, but having that as a starting point is helpful. And then we look to the community. We believe that our communities are full of welcoming places and other people with gifts. So when we're looking to build connections, we look around in the person's neighborhood for groups and associations that are already in place, for other neighbors, for the natural connections that the person have. And then the role of the community connectors to create opportunities for the person to get connected. So it's showing up at a lot of the same places, spending time in the parks, or walking through the neighborhood. Sometimes people come to us and, and say, I'd like, to, I'd like to make more friends, but I don't see people. I don't know where to start. 
and the more we we learn about the person's situation they're um, getting driven everywhere by by a support worker they're not spending any time in their neighborhood or in community places and if you're not where people are there's not as much opportunity to to get connected or to build relationships and turning those relationships into a network is is a matter of um, talking about what what's important and so as much as possible we encourage people to share what it is that is important in their life right now and what's going on in their life and I think that we all want to help and we all want to be involved in each other's lives, but sometimes we don't know how to go about that or we don't have the confidence to reach out and say, hey, how are you doing and how can I help? And so when we're spending time with people building networks, sometimes it's easier or helpful to have a community connector who can um, bridge that gap and just create opportunities for people together. And that community connector role who would fill that that role um is it typically a friend or family or paid support or what is that what is that what does that typically look like again that's different in every person's situation sometimes there's a natural connector in the person's life and the family can say hey can you make sure you include this person when um you and the group of friends are going out on the weekend it could be as casual as that or there are some groups and organizations like plan being one of them that has a team of community connectors that um, families can hire to play that particular role there's often other organizations and some support organizations who train their personal support network or their personal support workers to have a more network-based approach. So when they're spending time with the person or providing support to them, they're asking the questions like, who else can be involved and how can we involve the person's family and the person's friends in this? So there's lots of different ways that somebody can have a, a community connector um, but the most important thing is that they're they're focused on on the gifts and the abundance in community and and connecting and and making plans for that person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So starting off by really understanding the person, getting to know them, um, looking at who's in their life. You know what are what relationships do they have? Maybe using a tool like a relationship map and you know. Within getting to know them, I missed kind of looking at their gifts, taking a strength-based approach. What are they interested in? Um, and then, you know, who's in their life? Looking at, then looking at, you know, what community um, groups or associations exist that they can explore those interests, explore those gifts, contribute. And in that community connector role, um, doing that, uh, helping them find those, those opportunities and to be where, where people are so that there's an opportunity to create relationships. Um, is that a good summary of how to, to start? Yeah, I think that's a, a, a really good summary. And the one piece that I'll add to that is that personal support networks typically come together every month or every other month to, to do some planning and to talk about what the priorities are for that month and how they can support each other. Right. And so when you come together in that meeting, would, you know, would there be a agenda to the, 
to the meeting? How like how structured would it be? Does it vary? I'm just curious. What could a uh, what do you see those those monthly meetings or bi-monthly meetings look like? Sure. Sure. So some of them are very structured and some of them are very natural. And as a community connector or a mentor, and as a member of that person's network, we plan based on what that person's more comfortable with. And I think in all of our work, it's it's based on what the current needs and priorities are. And so here at Plan, we create work plans. And so every six months, we would have a meeting with the person and their family and their network if possible and talk about, okay, for the next six months, what is it that we want to do together? Do we plan some events and some celebrations? Maybe we'll um, work on helping the person to look for job opportunities or look for a new apartment. Again, it's really depending on on what where the person's at in their life. Mm, and right. it can be completely nuts. Right. So you use that six month kind of check in to look at what's maybe the most important focus for the personal support network over the next six months. And then you're kind of continuously reevaluating and adjusting based on that person's interests and, and needs and lifestyle and taking those things into consideration. Yes, within our plan model, we do that every six months. And then each month, the community connector would send a written update to the person and their family and network just to talk about the progress it's made or sometimes things change or something new comes up. But there's a high level of communication and engagement that happens. Cool. Um, So if I'm someone listening to this, it's like, okay, I'm starting to understand the nuts and bolts of how this works, or at least, you know, how, how plan is, is, um, supporting families with personal support networks. Can you share a little bit more in terms of, or is there more to share in terms of how, how this works for families? So like, what does it look like when it's actually up and running for an individual? Um, and maybe that looks differently, but maybe there's a couple of Maybe there's a story that comes to mind or a couple of different examples. Um, Yeah, what comes to mind for you? I can think of a lot of examples about ways that a person's network plays a key role in their life. And some of the ones that come to mind first are the situations here at Plan where the parents have already passed away. And the personal support network is is functioning in those important and specific roles for the person. And what that looks like um, is that where a um, mom or a dad or a family member was once the key supporter in decision making. Now it's a network member where here in B.C. we have something called a representation agreement And that means that it's a shared decision-making process. So there's some formal roles that network members can be a part of to help that person make decisions. And I think another key piece is when it comes to financial security, the personal support network can also advise the trustee or actually act in the role of a trustee in order to help the person at the center of the network or our lifetime members to, to access the trust um, that their parents have left in their will and use that, that money and those resources to continue to, to build their good life in community. Mm -hmm. 
I think also that ongoing that ongoing companionship and being part of a group that sometimes parents worry that their son or daughter will be alone or not be included. And the benefits of creating a personal support network is there's that commitment to be involved in not only the person's life, but the lives of, of each other. They're a group of friends who, who are committed to each other and highly involved and engaged. From that example, right? It, it's, it's, pretty obvious the the benefits that a personal support network has from um not only a, a relationship a friendship perspective but also kind of the you know if you want to call it natural supports or support for when mom and dad aren't there anymore um i guess the question that comes up to mind is like comes to mind for me is when should when should you think about being more intentional about that personal support network? Um, the answer that comes to mind for me is like as soon as possible, like the longer that there's intentionality and thinking in place around it, the better. But I'm curious on your perspective. I would probably have the same answer as you in that as soon as possible or whenever it feels like the right time. And I'd encourage families not to get caught up in the idea of a network, which might seem like more work to bring people together for meetings, to have too much formality about it. And just really remember that the heart of personal support networks is having a group of caring friends and relationships. So some of the families that I'm involved with have little ones and toddlers. They're two and three years old, and already they're beginning to think about, okay, who are the people in our lives who journey with us through the fun times and through the challenging times? So in the case of a younger person, maybe that's when the network might not be as formal, but the, just this idea of interdependence and this idea that we each have gifts and contributions that we can make to each other is the most important thing that I think people and families can remember when they're thinking about personal support networks. Um, so Rebecca, if uh, there's an individual or a family listening to our conversation and they're thinking, you know, this sounds great. I have an idea of how to start it. Um, I'm not sure if I can do this myself or if I should do go out and start to try and do this um, myself because I've never done it. I don't know if I'm doing it right. Um, should should somebody start it on their own? Um, should they get some hire some support to help them? Like I know this is what plan do, does, but what are your, your thoughts on that? Um, you know, whether the family lives in British Columbia, which is where plan is located or they live um you know in the united states or india or somewhere else mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um i would say that that starting to think about how a network can be involved in their son or daughter's life is um a good a good first stage and there's a lot of resources um and stories available both online and in print plan has a resource called safe and secure which talks about the personal support network and several of the ways that um, friends and relationships can be involved in a person's life. But there's also lots of ways that outside of plan and outside of um, the Vancouver, British Columbia area that people are building networks. Some families do choose to um, build the network on their own. 
And sometimes it's another support worker or just um, a family friend that they hire independently into that role. And we have an online course that's called Personal Support Network Facilitation. And it's a six-week course that's self-paced that a lot of people in, in roles, either formal roles, like a support worker, an independent facilitator, or family roles, take the online course to really dig in and talk about the different practices and habits of a facilitator, someone who's working to build a network. I think there's, there's also, as we reach a time when, when there's a real generational shift happening, and for the first time in history, the parents that have created plan and really created community inclusion all across our country are now for the first time getting to the point where they're 70 and 80 and 90 years old and the rubber's really hitting the road. So in terms of, of building networks, we're starting to see all kinds of groups asking that question, how can we help make sure that people have an intentional support circle in their life other than mom or dad or or the nuclear family and so a lot of community living organizations are reaching out to plan and um, I currently have two or three different projects that I'm working on both in Canada and the states where we're building capacity for all kinds of disability organizations to really think about bringing people in, building networks, organizing community around the person. And um, those projects are a combination of the online course and ongoing mentoring and support because this is not um, easy work. And sometimes we talk about building networks as being a little bit countercultural because in all of our lives, we're getting busier and people are living more isolated lives. They don't know their neighbors as much as we used to. So the the conversations and, and the training and the resources were, were starting to um, really focus on that a lot more. Hmm. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. Um, the countercultural piece, right? I mean, maybe in five years, we need to seriously start thinking about everybody having an intentional personal support network right like we get to that point um or maybe we're already past that point we just haven't realized it but um that's probably a whole different thread of a conversation or a a rabbit hole we could go down um i guess in terms of the resources so safe and secure and the online course uh is there a, a url you can share where people can can go access those Sure. Our website is www.plan.ca. We have a blog with stories on it. Plan Institute, which is our sister organization, also has several online courses and resources, and their website is planinstitute.ca. Okay, perfect. So I'll link to both of those in the blog and uh, in the show notes so people can access those. Um, so... Throughout Plan's history, I mean, I'm, I, I, I know that there's definitely been a lot of things tried and a lot of things, lessons learned. Um, so I'm, I'm curious, how is that culminating in, in the work that you're doing now? 
Sure, that's a really good question. And there's there's a lot of learning and shifting that's that's happening for us. And we talked about it a little bit already, but personal support networks can play many key roles and and here at Plan within our families. As we, we talk about it and check in with families, we recognize that we've done a really good job helping to make sure that everyone has friends and everyone has relationships. Also that people are able to contribute in their community and share their gifts. So that accomplishes one of our key aims, which is making sure that people with disabilities live a good life. But parents are still asking that question, what happens when I'm gone? And they're asking that question with more urgency than ever. And so we've really been asking ourselves the questions and working together as family groups saying, okay, we all have networks, but now how do we put those networks to work? So how do we identify what the key roles are for the time when mom and dad aren't able to continue? And what's that succession plan or what's that process of inviting network members, whether they be sisters or brothers, family members, or key friends, people who have been part of the network for several years, how do we start to transfer that knowledge that the parents and the family have to this next generation of of people that are going to continue to support? So we're almost treating our planning now like succession planning for an organization like when an executive director leaves or a a key role in the organization and and what do we need to know and how do we start to to pass that along and and make sure that all of the the roles like trustee or guardian or power of attorney or practical things like who's going to help this person go to the bank or a lot of parents are still extremely involved in helping people to get to various places by driving and providing transportation because a lot of our cities are still not adequate transportation for people with disabilities or um, providing food and every little thing that we do for each other as families we're now starting to um, mobilize networks to become more involved in those aspects so really passing the baton from mom and dad to other people before we reach a crisis point or before we reach um, that that moment, kind of doing some proactive planning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, so I've kind of had a little peek under the hood at some of the the work that you're um, you're working on, and um, there's some different if we want to call them domains or, or areas that we've already um, spoke about that, um, you know, that personal, uh, personal um, support networks look, look at. And um, there's kind of a, a scale that, um, that you've put together. Um, are you, are you comfortable talking to, to that? Or is that something that we want to keep under wraps until? Uh, no, you- I'd love to share more okay (laughs) yeah so from like from yeah so it goes from kind of peace of mind on the on the far end of the scale to um to like the most most prepared end of the scale to to unprepared so i'll kind of hand it over to you great thank you for that little introduction it's it's a good one and yes we have created a new planning tool because as 
an organization, we're wanting to make sure that we're doing what we say we do and make sure that we're making an impact. And so one of the questions is, well, well, do families have peace of mind? And peace of mind is dynamic and it changes. And there's so many factors that contribute to our peace of mind. So as a group, we had to ask ourselves that question, well, how do we know when we have peace of mind and how do we know what else we need to do to get there? So we started with each of the elements of a good life that we've talked about several times throughout the podcast, friends and family, decision-making, financial security. And then we asked the question, well, what does it look like when our life includes friends and family? Or what does it look like if I'm empowered to make decisions? And underneath each of the categories identified things like when our life includes friends and family. It means that there's an active support network in place, that the members of the support network are active, involved, and engaged, that the network members provide practical support. So since we talked about personal support networks looking so different for everyone, it was important for us to identify those universal aspects of how we provide relational support, how we intentionally support the person. And so now in the planning meetings that we do with families, we're going through each of the elements of a good life and each of the different outcome statements. And we're asking families that question, does your network provide practical support? Are your friends and family actively engaged? And what we find is that people and families are at a stage in the planning process. They're either completely unprepared and they haven't started to do work in that area, or they have peace of mind and feel okay. But in between those two factors, they there's also several other stages. So we've found that people move from being unprepared to becoming aware of something that needs to get done or thought about. And then they learn about it. So the third stage is learning. They learn about a discretionary trust or they learn about some formal supports that are in place. And then they do the work. So they write their will with a lawyer or they help their son or daughter find a new place to live. But even once that work is done, sometimes families don't feel that sense of peace of mind. So we've really starting to understand the importance of intentional meetings where parents and networks are coming together and reviewing the plans. So an example of that might be a parent identifies another another of their sons and daughters to be the trustee or to be the executor of their will. But until they have a chance to sit down with that other person and talk about what that looks like and review the details, there's probably still going to be some worry or some unclarity there. So what families are finding is when they're able to have conversations about how do we support this person in making decisions, what amount of money will be available and how can we imagine it being spent? or talking with the network about potential transitions that might take place in where the person lives. That reviewing stage is really key to feeling peace of mind. 
And we talked about how that changes. So reviewing on an ongoing basis is important. So the way that this this planning framework works is that every six months we'll be reviewing the, each of the areas of a good life with families and networks. And once they've reviewed it, if everything's good, then they'll have peace of mind. Or maybe something needs to be changed. Maybe a signing authority at the bank needs to be updated. Then they'll go back and do the work, review it again, and have peace of mind. So because things are so different in each of our lives and for each of our families, we're really looking for a way or a um, a bit of a guide for us as mentors and connectors to really develop work plans that are going to make a difference to show us where we need to invite the network members into important and specific roles and then create work plans that are um, going to help people to maintain the good life that families have helped them to create and that parents can can feel okay knowing that when they're no longer here that their son or daughter going to continue to be surrounded by the the loving care of their friends and family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, I appreciate you sharing that. I think it's helpful to share where your thinking is at because, uh, or your organization's thinking is at, because this is, you know, work that, that you live in and breathe and has been done uh, over a, a long period of time. So for families that are just thinking about starting a a personal support network or families that have been doing or have had an intentional personal support network in place for a long time. It's important to think about, oh yeah, maybe thinking about where I might be on this, uh, you know, between somewhere between unprepared and peace of mind. Like, you know, maybe we do need to review X or maybe we're, maybe this conversation triggered something on, Oh, I, I wasn't aware of that. Now I'm, now I'm aware of it. I need to go learn about it. Right. And, and to put something in place. So, um, I think that was definitely helpful. Um, Rebecca, is there any maybe final thoughts or final topics, uh, or a message that you wanted to leave the listeners with today? Well, I sure appreciate the opportunity to to talk with you today, Eric, and to to try and articulate some of these these big ideas and the concepts that we're that we're thinking about and working on um, here at Plan. I guess my final message to to people and families is to really remember that personal support networks are about relationships, and they're about living intentionally together and supporting each other, sharing what's important to us. I think throughout the history of our our work and and our sector, personal support network is one of those words that gets thrown around a lot. And for, for us and for me personally, because of all of the changes that we see happening in families and like I talked about people sadly passing away, I think there's a real urgency for us to begin asking that question, okay, what does this really look like? And and are we intentionally supporting each other? Do we know people who don't have any any relationships and asking ourselves what we can do? Because I think there's all kinds of possibilities to connect. We just need to 
go after them and, and have the, the confidence or the, the boldness to say, hey, how can I help you? Or this is what I have or this is what I need. We just really envision this world where we're all working together just a little bit closer. Mm. I love that. That is a perfect note to wrap up our conversation <laughs> today, Rebecca. So thank you so much for taking the time. Um, super grateful uh, for you coming on the podcast today. You're welcome. Thanks so much, Eric. A big thank you goes out to Rebecca for joining me on this episode and for helping to shed light on uh, what personal support networks are and the benefits they have in our lives and um, how we can go about building them and um, and utilizing them and running them in our lives. So I think one of the things that's helped me as I've thought about personal support networks is the range of formality and intentionality that exists with personal support networks. And the more I've thought about this, I've created a mental model that I want to share with you, which Rebecca noted in in our conversation, which was, if you think about uh, a scale and on the right side of that, or on the left, sorry, on the left side of that scale, you kind of have your immediate family. And on the far left side of that scale, you have a self-directed support organization. Um, a micro board would fit into that category. And then in between, you have what would be referred to as a, a lot of people would refer to it as a support circle ranging from on closer to the family side uh, of this range, less formal, you would have your kind of social support circle. So a support circle focused on social, which would be a little, a little bit maybe less informal. And then as you start to creep up towards the um, microboard side or the self, uh, self-directed support organization side, then it becomes more formal. So it might the purpose of it might be focused around um, creating a home, or the purpose of it might be around creating uh, job opportunities, or it might be full out. Um, you know, uh, parents have, are aging, and people are assuming more intentional roles, such as guardian or financier or or not financier, but treasurer um, in that individual's life to helping to manage finances. So um, I like to, to think about it also in terms of formality, and, and that helps to get uh, an idea of the different types of support networks that exist um, when looking at it from a, uh, a perspective of, of formality. So uh, I just wanted to provide that to you the listener to help to give you that perspective as well and to think about at the stage of life that you're at or the person with the with a disabilities at that is being supported what type of formality and what type of um, structure for a, a personal support network makes the most sense at this time in the individual's life and as rebecca shared that will shift and change over a person's life depending on what the environment is, what the circumstances are, and what the person wants in their life. Um, so there's some, some more food for thought and hopefully providing a bit more clarity uh, for you on personal 
support networks. Um, as we wrap up this podcast today, I just want to thank you for listening. And I wanted to remind you that there is the opportunity to subscribe to the podcast. And you can do that by going to empoweringability.org forward slash subscribe. And you can self-select the amount that you would like to invest uh, into the podcast and into yourself. Um, and into the all the benefits and perks that uh, that are coming next year in 2019. And thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. Uh, if you like this episode and you think you know someone that would benefit, please share it with them. Uh, be a part of the change to think differently about disability. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. Visit us at empoweringability.org for more podcasts and resources to help you and your loved ones impacted by disability build a full and meaningful life.